G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Let's turn our attention today to marriage. And, of course, if you've been experiencing challenges in your marriage, you might be coming from a place where you think it's all over. There are others, though, where things have been simmering along, challenges, problems have been coming to the fore, and you recognize that something has to be done, and you need to lock in some sort of counseling somewhere. You're reaching out to your local church looking for answers. You're even on your knees in prayer and requesting God to come and bring some intervention that will somehow or other Heal your failing marriage. Well, let's talk into marriages today that may be having some real problems and experiencing challenges like you've never thought of before. Uh, Welcome back to 2020 to Dr. Andrew Corbett. He pastors the Lagana Christian Church in northern Tasmania. He's authored several books. He's the national president of ICI Theological College Australia. Uh, theological distance education provider and uh, recent times uh, we were talking through some issues to do with problems and God's view of problems or the idea of talking about a theology of problems and an opportunity today to talk I guess into some of those sorts of things that we might understand from the scriptures but applying those into a marriage setting. Andrew welcome back to 2020. Thank you Neil great to talk with you. Andrew, when we've got a a problem with our marriage, things are turning sour. We recognise that as Christian believers, it's not just people who are godless that have problems in marriage. These things, these are not unusual for us in church life either. That is absolutely right, Neil. And I think this is where we we need to get real. And in talking about a theology of problems, you know, theology means how God sees things. And so when we talk about a theology of problems, and we and we begin to look at this issue of marriage, we, we're mindful that it's not just people who maybe have become Christians recently that come with a marriage in trouble. Sometimes what happens is you have Christian couples, even those who are pastors, people in ministry, and things begun, be, begin to turn sour in their marriage. I, I recently heard a, the pastor of a, of a very large church who had someone come to him and wanted to do some research on the quality of, of marriage in, in his church. It was a church of several thousand people. And the the researcher came back to the pastor and said, uh, you know, I've done a sample of, you know, I think two or three hundred people in your church and who, who are married, and uh, I've got some alarming news for you. And the alarming news was that around about 24% of these couples, according to the researchers' findings, exhibited the traits of people who were on the brink of divorce. The pastor was was stunned, absolutely stunned. And then he, he reflected, he said, actually, maybe I shouldn't be so stunned. My wife and I, 
just came through a really horrible patch in our marriage where we we thought we weren't going to make it, that we were going to end up in divorce as well. So the, the researcher said to him, you know, have you ever taught on marriage? He said, no, while I was going through what we were going through in my own marriage, I just didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel qualified to talk about it. And so I, sometimes this this topic gets, gets left off the, the preaching agenda, often times because people are not in a place themselves of a, of a really healthy marriage and one of the one of the sad things is that this pastor said when when he was asked uh, who did you talk to he said I, I couldn't talk to anyone I felt so ashamed that I was a pastor and I was going through this I just couldn't talk to anyone and so when we when we talk about marriage and and of course Neil culturally Australia has just gone through some pretty big discussion about the nature of marriage and I wonder if we haven't actually taken our eyes off the ball here a little bit to realize that the Bible actually has a lot to say about marriage it has a lot to say about God's intention for marriage we see in Genesis chapter 2 that God's original intention for marriage was to meet a need when he looked at Adam in Genesis 2:18, he declares it's not good for man to be alone he created uh, Eve's a woman and God was the father of the bride. He was the celebrant. He told them to, you know, be fruitful and multiply. And that fruitful is not just a measure of how many children they would have. It was to be fruitful in the sense of being blessed and in their relationship together. And, and of course, marriage itself, you know, is, is actually a picture of who God is as well. And I think this is why we can, we should take a look at marriage a little bit closer you know over the years i've heard people who talk about something that is to be exposed as a fallacy and that is the idea that in church the divorce rate is as high as it is outside the church of course a closer look at that might just reveal some very interesting things that oftentimes people who are in church are there because they're calling out to God, because they need help with their marriage and they realize that they're getting some help there. And uh, the idea that churches are in some ways on a par with those outside, that's a fallacy because it's uh, there's research that has shown uh, that those who are regular church attenders who are a part of the life of church are actually being enriched in their marriage and there's a real protection there. But I wonder, Andrew, when we talk about this idea of there being a protection in church, almost like a sanctuary, or the opportunity that church has to bring even training into marriages, whether that's not being taken up enough and that it might actually bear wonderful fruit if that comes to pass. Yeah, Neil, I think you've raised a really profound point that people, I've, I've heard the same thing. People say the divorce rate within churches is just as high as those of the world. You're right. It's, that's actually not true. The, the divorce rate among Christians is, is nowhere near the rate of those in the world. And, and there's probably, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. And you've touched on some of them. The, the research shows that for those people who are committed, those married couples who are committed to church, they're committed to the teaching program of the church, they're committed to receiving biblical instruction, that it actually does have a, a trickle-down effect into their marriage. I, I, I 
mentioned that you know we're looking at the theology of marriage, how God views marriage, and and when you be, when you get, begin to consider God, who He is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always eternally in a in a community of of, of each other, and that 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 was the that was reflected in the image of God that he made male and female and brought them together and called them man and wife. And and from out of that, those first two chapters of the Bible, the rest of Scripture is, is built. So Scripture is built on who is God and marriage. And so it's a really, really important thing. And I think you're right that there's actually a lot of resources. If you go into your local Christian bookstore, you'll pretty much see an entire wall, not just a little section on a shelf, an entire wall of marriage resources, which is, and mostly, it's really, really good stuff. And someone has, I heard someone recently say that some of the best marriage courses are sitting on pastors' shelves in their, in their offices, in their studies. <laughs> and the problem is, how do you get them out of the study shelf? How do you get them out of the pastor's office and, and, and on the street, so to speak? How do you get them out there? So I think you, you've actually raised a really profound point that, that we in the church assume, oh, everyone knows how to do marriage. Everyone knows how to resolve conflict. Everyone knows how to develop intimacy. We don't really need to labor that. And this is the problem of making assumptions when the, the data is showing that they don't. And so I've found over the years by, by preaching about who God is, by preaching about the nature of the Trinity, by preaching about the, the God's plan for the church, by looking at the, the, how the Bible defines love as a marriage celebrant myself, I, I can tell you that one of the most often requested scripture passages to be read at a wedding is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 6. Love is patient, love is kind, and so on. And and yes, we, we, we as Christians just take it for granted. And we maybe, as you just pointed out, we're not stopping and, and considering, okay, what, what does love um, is patient? What does that look like in a marriage? And we begin to unpack that. So there's, there are things we can draw out from Scripture, Neil, that I think have great benefit for marriages within our church and then that can flow out into the community as well. So profoundly, uh, almost unimaginable good things when you tap into the wellsprings of God. And some of those things we'd talk about uh, just ordinarily, the idea of a husband loving a wife, even as Christ loved the church, uh, the idea of humility and the idea of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, the old golden rule, well, that works in marriage too. Those things are not part of the usual outside-of-church conversation, but they are a part of the inside-of-church conversation. And as you say, if marriage became a opportunity to bring instruction, uh, then somehow or other your church is going to benefit, your whole community is going to benefit. You'd have to you'd, you'd have to think that that was absolutely true, Neil, because we're dealing with a culture that is, is, for the most part, many people are, in some respects, opting out of marrying because it's just too difficult. They just don't know how to go about it, how to do it. They don't. They almost go in with a, well, we'll see how we go. Well, I don't know if this thing will last. 
And one of the things I point out to a couple when I marry them is, is I'm not going to give you the best wedding. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I really don't do weddings that good. I'm okay, but I'm my, doing giving a good wedding is not my focus. My focus is to give you a good marriage. I said the, the choice is yours. Like, we can we can really focus on your wedding. And couples these days spend, you know, twenty five, thirty. I've, I've even heard of couples spending up to fifty thousand dollars on their wedding. And and I said, I, I can, we we could, you know, take your wedding and make it forty five minutes. You know, if you really want to draw it out, we could make it forty five minutes. But I'll tell you what, we do, we we can give you a good wedding, and then a great marriage. But we need to do some things first, and this is where we recognize that there are three common problems that will undermine any marriage. Unfaithfulness, lack of preparation, and an inability to communicate or communication breakdown. And they're just those three things. Faithfulness, preparation, approaching marriage with realistic expectations, and, and then learning how to communicate. And this is just on that last one. I point out to a couple and I prepare them for marriage. I say, if we, if we can just deal with this last one, communication, how to communicate. And I, I make the point that the deeper and more intimate your communication, the closer and more intimate you will be in your marriage. And that has an effect in, as one pastor said to me when I was a young pastor, he said, that affects every room of your house. And I kind of got what he was saying. So how we communicate, because a lot of people don't know how to resolve conflict. They don't know how to express themselves. They don't, they don't know the power of learning how to understand the other person. And I think as Christians, we have got a lot to offer within, just like within the house and beyond the house. Andrew, coming back to that marriage turning sour, the one that is on the verge of failing, and no doubt there'll be those listening to our conversation today saying, uh, what's the next thing I should do? I mean, sometimes, you know, wanting the big picture is not there. It's really, what's the next step that's going to get me over the line for another day? What are your thoughts for that person listening into our conversation today, recognising that problems are there, but they do have solutions and that aligning with God and his ways and coming under his blessing may be an answer. Uh, give us some insights here into the next step for that person who's in that marriage turning sour. Uh, Neil, I would love to, and I could do it, just, I think, just in a few minutes. If a, if a couple right now or someone who is part of a marriage that has already turned sour... The first thing I would recommend, can, if you can, get help. Get help. And, and getting help by perhaps an experienced pastor who's had uh, experience in this whole arena is, is a great place to start. And if that's not available to you, then here's, here's the next thing. Uh, and, uh, marriages that are turned sour and are not in a great place begin to turn around and become healed through an apology. An apology is one of the first things that's got to happen. Now, for the most part, people think an apology is simply uttering the words, I'm sorry. One of the things that I teach a couple in, in our marriage preparation uh, programs is an apology isn't merely saying, I'm sorry. An apology is when you have listened, 
you have understood the hurt that perhaps you've contributed to and you've understood why it hurt. And so by, by learning how to listen, and I talk about three types of listening. There's, uh, there's active listening, where people uh, engage in what's being said to them and they can ask questions. It shows that they're listening. Reactive listening, where you know, they're not folding their arms, they're not interjecting, they're not you know, rolling their eyes, they're not becoming defensive, they're not thinking of how can I re- give a rebuttal to this. They're reacting in a positive and inv- inviting way and then a responsive listening. So, for example, if your spouse says, uh, I, I really don't like it that you're late home for work every day when I've taken the time to prepare the meal and here we are and you, it just it just tells me you don't care. <laughs> you don't care about me. And so responsive listening uh, then leads to an apology. The apology shouldn't sound like, well, I'm sorry. The apology should sound like, oh, would you please forgive me? I... I've been foolish. I haven't realized how much hurt I've caused you. I can see that I've humiliated you. I can see that I've led to you feeling rejected. I can only imagine how I have upset you by doing this. In other words, you're, you're, you've listened, you've heard their heart, and you've asked for forgiveness. That's the essence of an apology. And that's where it starts, Neil. And then I've just mentioned the three types of listening from there, you just use those three types of listening and you recognize that if you can understand your spouse, your partner, if you can understand them, you have the keys to intimacy right in your grasp because we are almost involuntarily drawn to those who understand us. And that's one of the things that's going to help turn a sour marriage back around into a healthy, flourishing marriage. Now. Well, great insight, uh, fabulous wisdom, and for listeners to appreciate, and uh, as they will have done listening to you saying take these steps, that they are steps that are founded in biblical truth that we'll find in Scripture, and that's where the value of your local church is going to be. Dr. Andrew Corbett, he pastors Lagana Christian Church in northern Tasmania, He's the author of several books. He's the national president of ICI, Theological College Australia, a theological distance education provider. He also writes a blog, and you can find his writings at findingtruthmatters.org. For those who are interested in the distance education, uh, you could go to icicollege.com.au and there is a andrewcorbett.net website too. Andrew, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us again today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.